so good to see you here this morning. I want to ask you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. We're continuing the series we started last week called uh, Change. Now, as you're turning there, let me give you a heads up on uh, some things that happened last week that were just too awesome not to share. Last week we had, uh, if you missed last week, boy, too bad. It was good. (laughs) We had a great time. Our community picnic, we had a great service. Fourteen people last week said yes to Jesus and prayed to follow Him with their life. Isn't that incredible? Super awesome. And we had 301 sign-ups for life groups and dozens and dozens and dozens of other people taking their first step, their next step, a step of some kind. It was absolutely an incredible day. And now we continue the series that we started last week we call Change. Um, Just before we get there, I want to point your attention toward tonight. I sent you an email on Friday, and if you didn't get it, either either it's going to your spam folder or maybe we don't have your email address. But I sent everybody in our database an email on Friday just to say, uh, for six or eight months I've been on a personal journey just praying and, and asking God, what is it that He wants to do with us? Where, where do we go from here? And about two months ago, uh, I, the Lord... I heard the Lord say to my heart, just press to my heart, and say, I, I want to bring renewal to Kingwood Church. I want to bring renewal. I'm working to bring renewal. And so um, tonight, we're going to have soak at 5.30. And I want to encourage you to be here because uh, God, for, for reasons only He understands and, and we only understand in part, He doesn't do things without us. He, he works with us and He uses us. And so when God says, I want to do this, He usually doesn't do it unless we participate somehow. And so we have to give God the time and the space and the something. Well, that's what we'll do at Soap tonight. So, man, if you have that same sense or you have a desire to say, I, I need that work in my life, I'd really like you to be here at 5.30 tonight for Soak uh, if you've never been to Soak, we do it once a month. Just a, It's a time we pray and worship and, and seek God and pray for each other sometimes uh, or, or have prayer time, let me say it that way. And so I'd love for you to be here to, to uh, participate and to sort of respond to, to what God is doing in our life and in our church. So last week we started this series called Change and it's a paradox to me that God never changes. He's the same yesterday today and forever, but He won't ever stop changing us. It's a paradox that the God that never changes won't stop changing me and you. He just keeps working and He just keeps helping and He just keeps guiding us because He loves us. He won't be content until we're like Him. He won't be content until we're totally free. He won't be content until we filled our potential. He won't be content until we've become everything that He designed us to be. And He just keeps working to change us until that moment happens. So, as we're, as we're sort of taking this journey in this series on change, we're talking about the change God makes, the change God wants to bring. And it kind of reminds me, if uh, today we're thinking about moments of change. And now sometimes we look 
Uh, we find a moment of change because we look in a place we haven't looked before. Or on our way to find something else, we find it. Kind of like if you, how many of you ever lost your car keys or your wallet or something very important like that? Yes? Oh, four of you. No, everybody? Man, I need you to manage my life personally because I lose stuff a lot more than the rest of you. So, so your wallet or your keys, you know, you lose something like that. And, and, and you know when you lose something like that, like at first everything's chill and then the second hour goes by and you haven't found it, you know what I mean? And you know, you know what it means. If I don't find my wallet, I mean, I either find this wallet or I get on the phone with the credit card companies and I press one and pound and put in my life serial number and the mark of the beast or whatever else it is they want until I get through to a human to tell, you know, I think there's going to be a place in hell where you're going to have to go through an automated system forever. I'm convinced the Antichrist will rule the world through an automated system. Think about it. Systems of this world. So you know it's either that or find the, find the wallet. Find the keys. And so what is, what is it? Was, where's the last place you saw it? I don't know. And you go there and it's not there. And then what do you do? You start mapping your routine. Where have I been? Well, that's the bathroom I use. That's the closet. That's where I keep my shoes. That's how I go through the garage. That's where the car is. You know, did I drop it on the way? And you're just combing this thing over and over, trying to find this wallet or these keys or this whatever this valuable item is. You're, but after a little while goes by, you start to get radical. I mean, you're looking in under couch cushions. and You're looking in places that you've not dared to go for a long, long time. You don't know what's lurking there. You're flipping furniture over, looking behind the refrigerator. You're looking in the mic. You just start to break, you know, you start to think outside the box and say, is, could it be somewhere else? And have you ever been on a radical search for like your keys or wallet and find something you weren't looking for? Like, you know, oh, there's one of the kids' baby pictures. I, where did that come? Come here. You call the family around. Isn't that incredible? Look, where's that been? Where's that been? Where's that been? You start to see things you didn't see before. You find that. Isn't that cool? Then you find the keys you lost 10 years ago. You don't even own that car anymore, so it don't matter. Like, ah, where were those keys then when I needed them? But save me the locksmith amount of money. And there are things that you would have never found unless you broke your routine or you got outside of what was normal. And sometimes on your way searching for something, you find something else. And that's exactly what happened to the guy who we're going to read about in 2 Kings chapter 5. He was a soldier. He was a leader of leaders. He lived in Damascus, which means nothing to us, but that was the capital city, the largest city, and the capital city of Syria, which just happened to be the most powerful nation on earth at that time. Now, he's the commander of the army. He's the general. He's second only to the king. This is probably the number one soldier on earth. Imagine, the top soldier, the top general, in the top city, in the top nation of the world. He's probably the number, he's probably like a gladiator. There's only one problem, he had leprosy. In order for us to understand how big of a problem that was, we have to understand a little bit about leprosy. Beneath that strong exterior and battle-scarred armor, there was something so hideous hiding, he probably had a hard time even saying it out loud. Leprosy was the most dreaded disease of their time. Leprosy would cause severe uh, nerve damage. It would produce sores on the exterior of the skin. It would eventually lead to 
debilitation and loss of the legs and the arms and the hands. It was, it was a death sentence to have leprosy. How could a man like this general hide this disease? There's no way to hide it. Uh, they go off to war. They come back from battle. They're victorious. And every time this general comes back from battle and they're victorious, every dignitary in Syria wants to shake his hand. They stand in line. The king throws a great banquet. He's standing there. It's his obligation to greet everyone. The only thing is, the, o- the only thing he has to reach out with is a leprous hand. You just can't hide it. it. It had to come out. He couldn't make excuses. He couldn't say, I have a headache, I have a cold. That would last for a little while, but eventually. He had to openly confess his secret, and those had to be the four hardest words the greatest soldier in the entire world ever had to say. I am a leper. That had to just shock his soul. 2 Kings 5, verse 1, we pick up on the story. This soldier's name is Naaman. Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, notice this, Without his knowledge, the Lord is working through him. Isn't that interesting? Without his knowledge. Had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, this is the servant girl saying to Naaman's wife, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, let me give you a few thoughts that I'd like you to write down about moments of change. Here's the first one. Moments of change are usually born out of deep need. Moments of change are usually born out of deep need. I wish it were not true. I wish it were not true in my life. But if I'm honest with you, if I look back over the 25 or 30 years of my relationship with God, I would have to say to you, when things are going wrong, I tend to pray different. I tend to... This is serious. Not asking for the best parking spot at the mall. This is is like we've got to have God. Because there's no other answer. I wish... That I, I wish maybe you feel the way that I do. I wish I was motivated differently. But if I'm honest with you, when things are going wrong, I tend to have more urgency. I tend to seek God out. I tend to look for Him. I tend to crave Him. I tend to want answers more. I mean, this is, this is urgent. This is serious. It seems like in a time when things are going wrong, surface things shake away and we're looking for something deeper. And this is certainly true in Naaman's life. He had exhausted all means in the most powerful city, most powerful city and nation on earth to find a cure in his healing. How do I know he had exhausted all means? I know it because he's taking advice from a teenage slave girl. Think about it. He's now taking advice from a teenage girl who is a slave from a weaker nation who doesn't even serve the same God that he does. She like has a different religion. And he's going, hey, maybe there's something in that fortune cookie. 
help me. And so he listens to her. He had exhausted all those means, but now he's looking outside his religion and culture and traditional wisdom. And when he does, he finds a moment of change. Now, let me give you a key thought. God can do more in a moment than you and I can do in an entire lifetime. God can do more. A moment of change is when God comes and changes something. And he can do more in a moment than you and I can do in an entire lifetime. I don't know if you caught the story this week that I did. It was so uh, powerful. Uh, the mayor of Pelham, uh, Mayor Waters, Gary Waters. I don't know if you caught this story. I don't, I don't know the mayor of Pelham. He and I have never met. But I caught this story, and it was so interesting to me. I wanted to share it with you. He was giving a speech at um, Oak Mountain Mission this past week. And he was sharing at a banquet that they had that was just bringing attention to the work of Oak Mountain Mission, which is a, a ministry we support. It's a great ministry in Pelham. And as he was sharing some of his story, he talked about when he was a kid, how he was scrawny and skinny and little, and he got picked on a lot, he got bullied a lot. And the only cure he could find is there's this big kid in his class named Chuck who was bigger than all the other kids in the class. And so he just figured if I hung around Chuck, they won't mess with me. So he just got as close to Chuck as he could get. But Chuck was a a poorly dressed, haggardly dressed kid. And the closer... Mayor Waters got to Chuck, the more he realized uh, how poor Chuck was and how, how broken his family was and how, how dysfunctional his family was. And one night, Chuck's dad beat him. He beat him bad, just out of the dysfunction of their home. And, and that night, somehow, I don't know the whole story, Chuck came, uh, reached out to Gary Waters for help. And that night, Chuck moved in with Mayor Waters and his family, and however it happened, uh, Chuck stayed and never left. And they, in effect, adopted, I don't know the legality of it, but Chuck sort of became a brother to Mayor Waters, and the two boys grew up together and became like brothers. And years later, Chuck needed a kidney transplant to save his life. And Mayor Waters went to be tested as a possible candidate And the medical community told him, they said, look, if you want to be tested, I mean, we can do the test. But you're not a relative, you're not a blood relative. Uh, We can tell you it's nearly impossible. I mean, the chances are so far that you would be a match for him that it's not really even worth doing the test. It's so unlikely. But if you want to do the test, we'll do it. So they did the test anyway. He wanted the test. He told them he was sure he'd be a match. And so they did the test. As When the results came back, he was a better match for Chuck than Chuck's siblings. And he donated his kidney to Chuck so Chuck could live. And Chuck lived. Now, the doctors, Mayor Waters said, may try to explain away the reality of the two unrelated boys brought together years apart by different needs that could ever be a transfer. They might try to explain it away. He said, but I'm not going to explain it away. I'm going to call it what it is. It's a miracle. And he encouraged those listening to him that night to look for the miracles in their life all around them every day. Now, now, now that, watch, is a moment of change. That's a moment of change. Do you think that Mayor Waters or Chuck had any idea the night that Chuck's dad beat him and he came to live? Do you think they had any idea that was going to happen in the future? No. 
He had no idea. Do you think God knew? A moment of change. Something that happened in a moment that not only provided a better life for Chuck, but gave him a longer life. Preserved his life. The night of that terrible beating was a moment of change. I don't know why moments of change seem to come in a time of deep need. But I've got news for you this morning. If you're here today and you have a need, you are a candidate for a moment of change. Here's the second thought. Moments of change usually come in unexpected ways. Verse 9 so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. I'll give you the backstory a little. Uh, Naaman went to the king of Syria and said, Look, uh, this girl who we've abducted from Israel and over here, she said if I go over there and see their prophet, I'll be healed. The king, not seeing anything to lose and, and, and wanting to maintain his prized general, sent a letter with Naaman and some gifts so he could go to Israel. And he went to Israel, went to the king. King sent him to Elisha. So he comes to Elisha's house. Stops in front of his house. Uh, this is funny to me. Elisha sent a messenger. Hey, uh, the greatest soldier in the world is at the door. What do you think we should do? Go tell him something. <laughs> like, you're not going to come out and greet him? You're not going to come out and say hi? Nah. Elijah sent a messenger to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters? In other words, this nasty river here in Israel, the water we got at home is better than that. I mean, I could have just swam at home if that was what was going to do it. That's not going to do it. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. I don't know what a hissy fit looks like for the greatest soldier on earth. But I'm like pretty sure I wouldn't want to be there. This, this part of the story just reminds me that I think that sometimes we miss moments of change because they're too small or because they're too ordinary or because they don't come in ways we expect. Say that again. I think we sometimes miss moments of change because they're too small or they're too ordinary or they come in ways that we don't expect. So let's look for a minute at the, the unexpected changes that come. Why do we miss the unexpected? Well, well, what does he say? He says, I thought the prophet would come out and he would wave his hand over it and he would call out to God and it would go. So this is a long ride from Syria over here to Samaria where the prophet is. It's a long distance. And he had already played in his mind how all this was going to go down. I'm going to pull up. I'm the greatest soldier on earth. The prophet's going to come out. He's going to throw dust in the air and wave his hands and cry up to God and all that, wave his hand over, it'll be better and I'll go home. He was looking for something. He was looking for healing. But, but look what happened. Where did Naaman get this picture from? 
Somewhere he had seen or he had heard, this is what happens, and he had already played out in his mind what was going to happen before he got there. Can I just tell you something? There are some people in this room, you are going to miss moments of God because they don't look the way the other moments you've already had look like. You can do it and I can do it. We can get narrowed in and honed down and say, this is the way it looked the first time it happened to me or when it happened to me or when I became a Christian or the last time or anything else and you can miss the moments of God because you look like that and you don't see all those that are happening out here. I already figured out how this is going to go down. This is how it's going to happen. And anything else outside of that just doesn't seem to work. I remember when uh, my wife and I were pastoring in Mississippi, I had this guy... I don't remember, came to me after a service or something. But, but he had this thing he was set on that, like, that there was a certain way that people need to dress uh, in, in church. Like God ministers to people when they dress right. That was his thing. Okay, all right, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, for, I'm for good dressing, okay? Turkey and dressing. I'm for good dressing. I'm for dressing, you know, appropriately and all of that. But this guy is somehow stuck. I said, what do you mean? I mean, you, 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 we, ought to wear, we ought to wear a tie. We ought to wear a suit. That's how it ought to happen. And I said, well, do you, do you see that anywhere in the Bible? Yes. I thought, oh, no. He said, yes, I see it in the Bible. He said, do you remember? He starts preaching. Do you remember the story of the guy who used to run through the graveyards at night howling at the moon, demon-possessed with the long fingernails, scratching and howling, running naked through the tombs? Do you remember that story? I said, yes, I remember that story. He said, do you remember what happened when he met Jesus? I said, yes, I remember. He got set free. He said, and do you remember what happened the next night? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, the Bible says he was sitting by the, by the campfire with Jesus in his right mind, and he had his church clothes on. And I honestly think when he pictured that Jewish, previously demon-possessed man, I honestly think that he pictured a guy in a 21st century J.C. Penny polyester pinstripe suit. I think he thought he had a suit on, like an American suit. Now, that's funny because it's not us. But I wonder where you and I look like this. And we say, that's how it was. When God moved before, that's how it's going to be now, or it's not going to be God. And I wonder how much of that we miss out there because it doesn't look the way we think it ought to look. That's what happened to this guy. You and I have got to admit that we have a tendency to hold on to forms and experiences and pictures, and those pictures inform our mind on how things are going to look before they happen, and if they don't look that way, we're likely to miss them. That's what magic tricks are about. Magic tricks follow the pattern that is predictable to your mind on the front of the table, while back here they're doing things you wouldn't have thought of. And they say, did you see that card? I don't, where did he get that card? I didn't even see where he got it. Well, if you videotape it and slow it down and pause it, you'll see where he got it. But your mind wasn't trained to look for it, so it didn't see it. And that's what happens to us. We miss moments of change. Sometimes we miss them because they're unexpected. Sometimes we miss them because they're too ordinary. Look at verse 13. Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, some great thing, would you not have done it? Because you're the greatest. 
You're awesome. You know you're awesome. Everybody knows you're awesome. Wouldn't you have done something awesome if he'd asked you to do something awesome? How much more than when he tells you just to wash in the river and cleanse? How much more should you just do that? So the servant had a little sense about what was going on. Verse 14. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean, like that of you. He was healed of the leprosy. This is an interesting question. It's a very interesting question. If he would have asked you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? See, that's what you and I really want down deep inside. We want to be able to do something great for the things to happen in our life so that we can take credit. We want to do something. Let me ask you this way. I want you to think about those words for a minute. If someone said, I can guarantee you a foolproof way to heaven. Guarantee you 100% money back guarantee. Cannot be broken. It is eternal. I can give you a 100% guarantee foolproof way to heaven after you die. All you have to do is buy a ticket. And the ticket's $100,000. Can you imagine how many people would start saving today? Can you imagine? Hey, there's some people that would get serious about the Dave Ramsey snowball. They would pay the debt down now. Because I mean, I got to save for heaven. Forget retirement. I got to save for heaven. People would want to buy a family plan. They'd start cutting out bad habits that cost them money and say, no, no, I got to put that money over here in the I'm going to go to heaven one day jar. They'd open up an account in their children's name. They'd help their underprivileged relatives buy their ticket. Once they had a month, it'd be worse than uh, Black Friday. People would like be tailgating three days in the line and event to stand and get the ticket. They'd be out there grilling and cooking in their tent and their lawn chair and their water bottle just waiting for the line to open so they could run up and put their $100,000 down and get their ticket. Can you imagine? But you can't earn your way to heaven. If there was a way, don't you think people would try it? Sure they would try it. Because it's something great. I can do something great. I can do something powerful. I can do something awesome. I'm part of it. I get credit for it. This is my deal. And, and, and look what happens in the story. Do, do you remember this old song? Put your, put your right hand out like that. It's okay to participate. You can move. The floor's not going to open and eat you. Pull it back. You remember this song? Put your right hand in, put your right hand out. Put your right hand in and you shake it all about. What is it? You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself away. It's too left. Put your left hand in, you put your left hand out. You put your left hand in and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey. Nobody's turning around me. And you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Come on. Please, come Come on. Super awesome. Can you imagine what bathe in the river seven times must have sounded like to the greatest soldier on earth? This is the hokey pokey. I'm the greatest soldier on earth. I'm dying of leprosy. And your answer is, send a messenger to the front porch to tell me to swim in the river seven times and do the hokey pokey? Are you crazy? I'm dying. 
I don't need the hokey pokey. I don't need my right. Dip seven times? What am I, a fish bobber? Are you crazy? I'm dying. This must have sounded like the hokey pokey, but can I tell you something? God never asked us to do anything great. He just asked us to bathe in the river. Do you know what the Hebrew word bathe means? It means baptized. You just get in. That's your job. Just get in. Why? Why get in seven days? If God asked us to do something great, you and I would get confused and think that we actually were in charge. We would get confused and we would think that we somehow did it. Here you have the greatest soldier in the world who's absolutely helpless. Do you have any idea this morning how helpless you really are? It usually takes a good amount of suffering to figure that out. As long as we pull the lever and out comes what we want, we live under the myth that we're actually in control. But when we pull the lever and we pull the lever and we pull it till we can't lift our arm up anymore and it's dying from exhaustion and we can't get things to work the way that we think they ought to be or the way we've been told they ought to be, then we wreck ourselves on that machine and say, God, I need help. And he says, yes, I've known this. And in that moment, and usually only in that moment, do we see how helpless we really are. I remember um, several years ago, I was in a um, service, and uh, I don't remember exactly how it happened. We were praying, and uh, this lady comes to me, and I thought, Lord, she, she was coming at me on a mission. You know what I'm saying? You could tell the way somebody's walking. She's either coming to shoot me, or she's coming. Something's about to happen. She's coming at me, and she looks at she says, uh, she's all wired up. i, I got to tell you something. i got to tell you what just happened? What, what, what happened? And she's got these glasses on that are so thick, it, it looks like telescopes. I mean, her eyes are magnified inside the lens, so she looks unnatural. You know what I'm saying? She looks very excited. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and she comes to me and looks at me through these big glasses, thick. And, and, and she says, uh, she says, I, I have such bad eyes and I have such bad eyesight. She said, I, I haven't been able to read the Bible, but a little bit. She said, I, I would hold my glasses, and I had this little magnifying thing she'd hold on the outside of that. And she had a Bible. She, oh, I could see it was, it was a little bit larger, for not giant print, but a little bit bigger. And she said, I'd hold it like that just so I could read. And I said, well, I'm so sorry. Can I pray with you? She said, no, no. No, I don't want you to pray with me. You don't. She said, no. A few minutes ago, I was right back there worshiping. And God came. And He healed my eyes. I said, what do you mean He healed your eyes? She said, He healed my eyes. I said, you can read? She said, yeah, well, well, show me. She took her glasses off and she started reading. I'm just reading, 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 reading. I said, where are you reading from? I can't see. She said, the footnotes. The footnotes. 
Can I just tell you, she was supposed to have somebody awesome pray for her. She was, that was not supposed to happen like that. But it was pretty ordinary, and it's pretty unexpected, and it was pretty God. Moments of change oftentimes come in unexpected ways. Here's the last one. Moments of change bring us closer to God. They bring us closer to God. Verse 15. Then Naaman and all his attendants. So Naaman is dipped in the water and he's healed. So he gathers all his attendants. They go back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, "Now, if you got something you can circle with, now I know. Circle that word know. That is a... That is a very, very important Hebrew word that you will see throughout the Old Testament again and again and again. And now I know that there's no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. One way you know that a moment of change has happened is that something happens that you can't do. Like you look at it and you say, I couldn't do that. It's like the lady who comes up reading with the Bible and takes her glasses off. She's reading out of the footnotes and I go, yeah, I'm out. I got nothing. I can't, I can't, I can't do that. Only God can do that. And that's how you know that it's a moment of change. Only God. Only God does it. And in this story, this little word, now I know. That word know that I had you circle is an um, interesting Hebrew word that is spoken like this in Hebrew. Yada. Yada. And Yadah is a very interesting word because it doesn't mean that I know. It doesn't mean I know because I read it somewhere. It doesn't mean I know because somebody told me. It doesn't mean I know because I've heard that before. It means I know because I have experienced it for myself. I Yadah, God. And now I know that there is no other God other than the one in Israel. How do you know? I met him. He was on his way to find a cure for leprosy, and on the way there, he found God. <laughs> he found more than he bargained for. He ran straight into God. This is an experiential knowledge. I know because I have experienced it for myself. Listen, you don't have to convince someone who's been healed that God heals. I don't have to sell anybody on that that's been healed. Yes, I know. Who are you talking to? I know you're singing to the choir. You, you don't have to uh, convince someone whose life has been washed and cleansed and set free from sin and forgiven and they're on a path to healing and holding. You don't have to convince them that God changes somebody's life. They're like convinced. You don't have to convince somebody who, that, that he's Jehovah Jireh, someone who has experienced the miraculous provision of God. Yes, I know God provides. He provided for me. 
You don't have to convince anyone that has yada. You don't have to convince anyone that's experienced. This moment of change was so powerful. Watch this. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. This moment of change was so powerful. Naaman asked if he could take bags of dirt. He said, look, I got two mules carrying nothing. I want you to strap them down till the tires are bursting with dirt. If you're not going to accept a gift, then I'm going to take your dirt. Sounds fair? I want you to strap it down to the tires are bulging out the side. I'm going to take dirt home. And when I get home, and when my king, and when my people go to our false temple, and they kneel down to pray to a false god, I'm going to take this bag of dirt I got from Israel, and I'm going to pour it out on the ground, and I'm going to stand on it, and I'm going to say, there is no other god other than the one in Israel. Because I yada him. I know him. Now, I don't even really know what that is about. That's not like endorsed by Elisha. I haven't read in any denomination that's endorsed dirt removal. Like, uh, you know, we'll be running airplanes to Israel to get dirt and bring it here. And I, I haven't read any of that anywhere. You know what this looks like to me? It's just a guy who met God and just wanted to keep it going and didn't know how. Just a guy. You ever do anything in your walk with God that you go, I'm not sure this is a rule, but it's a rule in my heart. Like, I'm not sure God has required this, but it helps me remember that I am His, and the day that I met, it helps me remember. You ever, you ever have things like that in your life? We don't need to make a religion. You don't need to put that on other people. But man, I'm so glad this guy did it. Shows me what his intention was. Not only am I cured of leprosy, not only did I meet God, I'm going to go back home and I'm going to live for God. Why? I've been convinced. This is Yada. So this morning, as we pray, I've got a few questions for you. Is there something in your life that needs to change? Is there something in your life that needs to change? Maybe you're here this morning and you're at a point and you say, come on God, something's got to be different. E either, either change something in me or change something around me. But I'm in this, I'm in this place. And I, I need God to do some things that only He can do. There's some stuff inside me that only God can change. There's some stuff around me that only God can change. And I don't know which one He's going to do. But I just need God to do one of them. Something. I'm going to ask you just to stand and I want our prayer team to come. Just got, I just got two simple questions. Very simple. Do you believe God can change it? Do you believe God can change it? Here's the next question. 
will you ask? See, I figured out I can't I can't build, I can't make, I can't create, I can't cause a moment of change to happen. And neither can you. But I can ask. <laughs> I can open my eyes. I can look around and try not to miss the ones that He sent them. This is a moment right now. This is a moment of change for somebody. I can reach out and catch every moment of change He's trying to bring to my life. I cannot miss it. I can believe. And I can ask. Every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you say, I need change. Maybe it's an issue you've been praying for, praying through. Maybe it's a relative, a loved one. Maybe it's a circumstance, a situation, a job change. Maybe it's something in your soul and heart. Maybe you need to forgive. But you know in your soul this morning as I was sharing, something resonated inside your soul and you said, I need change. Would you just lift your hand and say, I need change this morning. There's change in my life that I need in me, around me. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. All, all over, all over. Too, too many hands for me to even, even figure out. Yes, hands everywhere. I'm going to pray for you. And after, and after I pray, I want you to come. And I want you to reach out for the moment of change that's in the room. I want you to come and I want you to ask God. I want you to come and I want you to believe Him. God, I believe you and I ask you for change that only you can bring. Lord, I thank you today for the power of God that is at work in this room. I thank you today for the presence of Jesus. I thank you today for the moment of change that resonates inside our soul this morning. I thank you for the, for the moment that's about to happen. I ask you right now to meet us in your wisdom and in your power. And open our eyes so that we can see every moment of change. If you lifted your hand, I want you to come right now. I want you to come right now. I want you to come right now. Just, just move from where you are and come and let one of the prayer teams. We got people here been praying for you all morning. They've been asking God, what are we going to say today? What are we going to pray today? What's going to happen today? I want you to come right now. In the balcony. There are some in the balcony. Come on. I want you to come right now. We're going to pray for you. We're just going to pray for you and I'm going to let everybody go. We're just going to start praying for you and I'm going to let everybody go.